We are live. This is the Connor Chepnik Podcast, episode number 18. Today, I'm really excited to be joined by John, Jack, and Peter. Each of these guys has an expertise in uh, fitness, golf, and finance, so it should be a lot of fun conversations. I know you're all fellow Bitcoiners, too, so that gets me even more excited. Uh, but we'd love to just start this off by having everyone go around the horn and give a little more in-depth introduction. Yeah. Connor, thanks for having us. We're excited. Um, so we'll start it with uh, Pete and Jack and myself. We, we've known each other for some time now, and we've all kind of been on our own path, but we were pretty much like-minded growing up in a similar area of uh, Cape Cod, Massachusetts. And I knew these two were going to be good friends of mine for the long term because they were always striving for better and uh, making the most of their life. So as we're going down our paths, we're each doing our own thing. I'm playing golf. Um, and I'm also trying to, you know, make some money along on, on a side hustle. And I started this little thing that I called Muck Barn University and MBU is what we call it. And this group, uh, it wasn't really a group. It was just me, me posting about some successes I've had or some wins I've making and, and doing our going about my life. And, you know, I, uh, I was trying to just showcase excellence really and having some wins and then being able to spread them is more fun with a, a group rather than just yourself. So these guys took note of that and Jack actually reached out and thought about, you know, guys, we're, we're all in a similar place, you know, just getting out of college and looking into the real world and being like, wow, there's something missing here. Like I, I miss the, the camaraderie of having friends right next door or playing sports um, every weekend and studying constantly and learning and growing the mind and being around that atmosphere is, is it was a change. So um, Jack had a great idea and he got us together and he, he compiled his best buddies, it looks like. And I'm thankful he did because what we've been able to develop here at MBU has been something that I never could have dreamed of. It started off with me just wanting to share wins, um, whether it be on the golf course or in the markets or whatever. And it's turned into a, a place where we can foster um, community, uh, hope, where we can inspire each other and just pull the best out of each and every one of ourselves. And our goal here is to do this for more people. So I'll let these guys, they, they have a better, they have a better um, explanation, I'm sure. But that's, that's the spiel there. That's awesome. You go ahead, I'll bet clean up. Sounds good. Yeah. So when, um, when Jack had first brought up the the, uh, the men's group type forum. Uh, this was something that I was really excited for, uh, especially because I've done mentorship programs in the past, uh, specifically fitness related programs. And a lot of them, they'll tell how, you know, you'll have uh, accountability and you'll have support. And that's fantastic. And you do have this to a certain extent with these programs. But I think that something that's like really, really cool and special about this group is like, these are a couple of my best friends right here. Like I've known John since eighth grade. I've known Jack literally since we were probably like seven or eight years old. We weren't the best of friends at first, but then we, we became pretty close. But yeah, like as, as I was saying, I kind of digress there. Um, this, is, this is a group where like, because we're so close, we really can, can hold each other accountable to our goals. So, you know, I think there's, there's a lot of uh, mental masturbation especially around the respect of uh, setting goals and implementing positive behavior, which I think we'll, we'll probably touch on a little bit more later. But this is a group where like, we can really be honest with each other and, and hold each other accountable to, 
to the goals that we're trying to achieve on a daily and weekly basis. And um, we have methods set in place to, to um, you know, hold each other accountable to this. And I, and I think for me, that's something that's really important is to be, to be held accountable by the people that are closest to me. It's because uh, something we were talking about the other night, it's, it's really easy to um, lean on your friends if you want to like go out to grab a drink or like uh, shoot a round of like nine or 18 holes or play tennis or, or do whatever. But um, I think it's really important to be able to fall back on a group of people when, you know, maybe you're, you're suffering financially or um, you're not taking care of your, your health like you should be or um, you're not doing the little things right and being able to, um, to, to fall back on a, on a couple of rocks like these two gentlemen has been fantastic. Yeah, man, that's awesome. I love that. <clears throat> all right, Jack, take us home. Um, yeah, first of all, on behalf of the group, um, you know, thanks for having us on. I'm glad that Connor and I got to reconnect after after college. We went to the same university up in Medford. Um, Connor played a sport. I played a sport. And I think we shared a class together. And then you know, I saw what you were doing, Connor, after college. And I've always been really impressed as you pursued your podcast and been – unapologetically pursuing uh, Bitcoin and now a father. Um, so, you know, you fit right into the mold of what exactly we're doing at MBU. Um, yeah, it all started for me when, I don't remember the day, but it was, it was probably early January this year and I was driving into work and don't get me wrong, I love what I do. I love everything about the, the path I'm on. I'm in the corporate world right now and I was just kind of trying to, to bridge the gap of what the purpose is of why I'm doing all of this and, and be able to, you know, share that with, as Pete and John said, some of your closest friends to make sure that we're optimizing that pursuit. So having that support group, that accountability group that we put together is, is pretty paramount, especially for young men, because it's sad to say, but honestly, pretty unique to have a young men's support group in 2023. Um, we are in a space where we have the opportunity to talk about topics that we're knowledgeable on, topics that none of us may be knowledgeable on, and also some things that might be, you know, by 2023 standards a bit uh, taboo or, or out of the norm. And so being able to use those conversations to you know, build lessons, you know, give each other presentations and PowerPoints on things that we're passionate about, um, and also answer questions that we might have not had the answer to, you know, when we were 18 to 22 years old, because, you know, I think all of us here have made mistakes that we would look back on and say, you know, I would have handled this differently. I would have, you know, even if it's something as minute as carrying through a conversation with better poise. You know, these are like those intangible things we work on as a group um, through our presentations, through our discussions, um, you know, having an understanding that we're not going to be swearing when we're recording our, our videos so that we can practice speaking, you know, eloquently and, and, and well so that when we translate that to our, you know, external world outside of MBU, you know, you're giving your best version. And so all these things have kind of come together into that accountability group that we have now. And um, it's, it's just been nothing but a value add since John and Pete and I uh, have been meeting on a regular cadence to, to really keep each other in the loop to each other's lives and, and make sure that um, we're staying on the ball in our respective trajectories in life. 
Yeah, it's so cool to hear you uh, mention that because I know one of the best things I've done is create a proof of work group chat with some of my best friends. And to just have that group chat, to be able to put your wins in it, to be able to learn from other people, you know, life is so finite and uh, it's, it's much better to get an expertise in one thing, but that means you have to let a lot of things slip by the wayside and have experts in various fields and to be able to talk with them and to get that insight from your best friends, you know, someone you trust is just so invaluable. And just kind of reading through what you guys have done with Muckbarn University, hey, I think to your point, it's, it's hard in 2023, you know, with all this online stuff, I think people are, for better or worse, spending way more time online and not enough time in person and to actually have a core group of friends to keep you on the right path, to keep you motivated, to not help you give into your vices or break a good habit is uh, so crucial. And one of the things I wanted to touch on, um, you guys made the point in our, our show notes about Bitcoin and the Bible. And I think it's such an apt one because people can attack it in the same way they attack the Bible. People can try and get rid of it, but it's just an idea. And, and no matter uh, what they do, it, it's, you can't get rid of an idea. Um, but I also think it's important to realize that the Bible mentions money is the root of all evil. So it's kind of this ironic thing because in some ways I do see Bitcoin as the second coming of uh, the just truth in general and in a time when it seems like truth is becoming less and less important. But at the same time, I think it's very crucial to remember that money when obsessed over is also a... Um, it's important to remember that money isn't everything. Life, is, Wealth is so much more than just money, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So I'd love to hear you guys touch on that in your thoughts uh, and, and how you kind of came to that conclusion that the, you know, Bitcoin is the second coming in a way of the Bible. Yeah, great point. I, I enjoy discussing this. Can't take all the credit. Uh, Robert Breedlove obviously brings up brings that up and he's a um, an amazing, fantastic uh, voice for us. And he and Sailor have just dived head first into the rabbit hole and it's it's helped bring us there as well but basically what it is is um you can't tamper with uh truth for the first time and the bible is recorded history or truth and it's been translated so many times that we may be getting a slight um divergence of what actually happened but it's the closest thing to perfect honest truth that we that we that we know until now and Bitcoin is, um, once you learn about it, etched into history in a perfect, unison, truthful manner. And there's nothing you can do to break it. It's anti-fragile, um, it's universal, and we've never had a universal language or a universal money until now. And what that's going to do for civilization as a whole is quite um, impossible to predict and it's honestly a revelation so some would say that we've hit a point of enlightenment where we've had enlightenment moments in the past such as earth being in the uh, center and everything else revolving around it and we've, um, we've learned that wasn't necessarily the case and then we separated church and state and now we're we found we discovered i would say i wouldn't even say we built we kind of discovered scarce digital money thanks to our friend satoshi and it's amazing what can happen from here on out yeah it really is it's so beautiful you know i think uh and, and i'm sure you can touch on this jack is when the money gets broken i mean you look at weimar germany you look at the fall of rome 
just a lot of times throughout history when when the money's breaking down society kind of breaks down and i think it's because when the money breaks down you can't have a low time preference you know the whole idea of money is you saving it so you can be more certain about the future and when that starts to break down it encourages more risk taking and risk taking is by no means bad but when no one can have certainty in the future of course society breaks down so it's it's a really beautiful thing that we finally now have a tool that we can save in and obviously we're 13 years into it you know it's it is volatile but if you have a low time preference and you've held this thing for five years i mean the returns are just incredible and every day that it, you know bitcoin keeps adding blocks you know the, the more blocks get added the more likely it is to succeed the more likely it is we are finally gonna have a base layer of money that uh works perfectly you know i was listening to a podcast today that was talking about when inflation first came to be and it, it's just such a malicious thing because it really breaks down society and most people don't even realize it's happening and you know keynesians uh for better or worse love to just arbitrarily say two percent inflation is this magical number but when you think about it there should not only should there not be inflation but everything should be falling to the cost of marginal production and all goods and services should be getting cheaper and cheaper so if your salary stays the same you should be able to buy more and more and more goods and we're not seeing that because of how broken our money is today yeah absolutely i mean you know i i would say on a relative basis to you and john uh pete and i might be considered you know neophytes as you see in my uh my noster post i said what what you know should someone on here who's new to this world be doing? Um, and, you know, I just got on Noster maybe two weeks ago and having a little fun with it, still learning it. Um, you know, and so, but same with Bitcoin. You know, I'm still I'm still learning the ins and outs, how it functions, how it works. Uh, John's been a great torch for that. He's been leading uh, leading Pete and myself through that that journey, um, you know, from the, the world of fiat. And, you know, I, I work in that world and, um, you know, I, I love it and it's, um, it's, you know, what feeds me and, and, um, I would still say that, you know, at a high level, anything that isn't scarce becomes less valuable. Right. So, so we've you know talked about Bitcoin in that sense and the scarcity element. Um, that's one unique feature, you know, it's talked about Bitcoin standard. It's talked about, um, on Noster and other platforms. And we'll probably talk about it here is that, you know, what, what gives it that value on a relative basis to a to a fiat currency is is that fiat currency can be printed at an alarming rate, and so, you know, that's um that's one thing that that has you know brought me to the point mentally where I'm I'm I wouldn't say I'm I'm fully in on Bitcoin, but I um, you know I use it I use it pretty heavily. I, I love that I'm I'm adopting it. Um, every time I listen to a podcast or you know, like the guys on mass adoption, was it, I wrote them down, Jeff and Greg, is that right? Yeah, Jeff and Greg. Yep. And yeah, I'm talking about it. And, you know, not only the, the currency itself, but also the community, um, you know, that, that people want to speak freely. They want to transact freely. They want to interact freely without any sort of third party mitigation or tampering with that, um, with the medium they use to interact. Um, and so that's, you know, for me as, as, a, as a newer adopter to this, uh, this asset class, it's, it's been eye-opening. It's, you know, it's definitely, you know, affected me in, in, in a political sense and how I view the world and how I view my understanding of, of building personal wealth and, and who I'm doing that for. And, and, you know, I'm sure, you know, being a father now, you know, you think about these things probably quite a bit, right? You know, you're you have someone who you're who you're living for 
right? And so, um, you know, figuring out what avenue that is, and and for you, I'd imagine it's Bitcoin to be able to be a support system for the people who rely on you. Yeah, it, uh, and, you know, to your point, just because John and I have been studying Bitcoin a little more, just the fact that you're willing to go on Noster, you're willing to try and learn. I mean, it's those are just all the key features of a Bitcoiner. And the Bitcoin community is a very wide and diverse community full of all sorts of personalities. But if they're if you're going to generalize, if there's one common thread, it's that most Bitcoiners start to care about their health. They start to care about their finance. They start to care about their network. They start to care about their relationships and they start trying to do better. And I think that's because it just sets up so many win win situations. And yes, we're still so early in this technology, but just having that mindset shift and, you know, wanting to try and learn. And, and you know, to your point earlier, I, I don't think fiat is all bad. I mean, that's one of the things I love about your guys. Muckbarn University is the fact that you try and find the good in things. It's not all bads. And, uh, you know, fiat was first adopted because it helped kings and monarchs win wars. You know, if you could print money ad infinitum to buy goods and services and be the first one to do it. Yeah, your people might suffer via inflation, but you were more fit to go into battle to have better equipment, better material, more men to pay. You know, so once one person did it, everyone followed suit. And it's, you know, at the end of the day, I I think one thing that you start to realize setting Bitcoin is it's all incentives. And the incentives of this network set up win-win situations. So, you know, again, I don't think fiat, fiat is all bad, but I think a lot of times fiat can set up these lose-win situations where there's a clear winner and there's a clear loser on a trade. And I think with Bitcoin, you finally get a system since no one can counterfeit the money where it's just win-win because, uh, you know, goods fall to the marginal, marginal cost of production. Because like you were saying, when you can when something's not scarce, it is no longer as valuable. And typically an entrepreneur will go out and try and make something not scarce so they can profit from that. And uh, in, in a system where no one can just create that money out of thin air, then every good and service is going to fall in price because more entrepreneurs are trying to provide that good and service. And I think a, a good thing that the, the Bitcoin community has also made a distinction of is is who's accountable to that um, to that problem in the fiat world. You know, for, for the people who I interact with, you know, those are these are private companies. These are companies that are, you know, paying taxes to the agents who are regulating the currency. You know, so that's also a cool distinction that you know Bitcoin has discovered that the, the Bitcoin community has discovered that you know it's it's really a question of regulation and, and, and who's overseeing it and that you know that peer to peer versus you know government to everyone else. Um, yeah, one thing I, one thing I'd like to add, Jack. Sorry to interrupt you. No, go for it. Um, is how Bitcoin has really come to be in an organic manner. Um, we all know that um, good, solid money is um, is kind of um, found by the people. It's what the people want to use instead of forced on them. And I I believe the definition of fiat is actually by government decree or by decree or by rule. By decree. Yep. Yeah, we've been forced to use this money, but if you would allow us to um, pick our money, we would use things such as salt or cattle or rye stones, as Bitcoiners all know about now. Um, And I think the world is opening up and learning that maybe we want to use Bitcoin. And even if it's just the world's largest experiment, why can't we? Um, Well, the reason is because the government doesn't want us to because they'll lose power and they will... um, ultimately fall and as a bitcoiner i believe that that's what we need to happen but the only way to find out is to lower our time preference save for the future 
um, build strong intellectual families and surround ourselves with good people. And the way to do that is by each day making a conscious effort to be a little bit better. And what I love about um, Peter and Jack is that they've allowed me to make strides even further. I was doing great things in my life, but I was still uh, binge drinking, uh, doing drugs and alcohol and and being uh, tempted by pornography. And ever since Muckbarn University started, I've eliminated all three of those things and I've won golf tournaments and made it to the PGA Tour, which has been a dream come true of mine. So I can honestly say, thanks to my two good friends and Bitcoin, my life has forever changed. And I'm not saying that everyone's going to make it to the PGA Tour, but they will for sure achieve their highest goals that they never thought possible. Yeah, just to yeah. kind of interject, I think, um, you know, Johnny, as, as Jack was saying, I'm definitely uh, a noob, so to speak, when it, when it comes to uh, investing in Bitcoin. But, I mean, Johnny's done such a great job of, of educating us um, on, you know, properly investing, storing our Bitcoin. And for me, um, you know, fundamentally, I've, I've always, you know, believed in the concept behind Bitcoin. And, but more than anything, um, it, it really um, just like embodies hope for me and stability. Because like moving forward, I, I don't have much hope for, you know, the, um, like to the trajectory of like the United States or like the US dollar. And, but I can, I can place my faith in Bitcoin to a certain extent because like I, it's, it is like, it is a digital gold to a, to a certain extent. So I can, um, and that's why that, I think like Bitcoin is such like a beautiful parallel to what we're doing uh, or what we would like to do at MBU, which is to ultimately inspire hope for, for, for any of the individuals who are feeling lost or, or need some type of direction, like Bitcoin um, can do that. And um, so that, that's why like being able to, to uh, you know, start, you know, slowly dollar cost averaging um, some of my fiat into Bitcoin. It's um it's lowered my time preference and it's and it's helped helped me to think more long term as opposed to like in the past like as as Johnny was talking about like uh, some of the vices that that he's had I've I've had like similar issues myself especially with um, when it comes to greed and wanting wanting to make money immediately I've I've made some some very poor financial choices so um investing myself in the concept behind Bitcoin. Um, it's it's changed my character fundamentally to a certain extent. Yeah, listening to you guys speak, the first thing that comes to mind is that uh, pain is the best teacher. And I think it's important to realize in life that, I mean, it's nearly, I think it is impossible to avoid pain. There was always going to be pain. But when you have a strong support network, you know, it's like, it's painful to feel the remorse if you watch porn. And then, you know, right after you're like, oh, why did I do that? Like it was enjoyable in the moment. And then now like I regret it. But then it's also if you have a group who you're accountable to, it's painful to be like, guys, I, I fucked up. So, you know, that that pain of wanting to avoid having to tell the group I fucked up might be enough to overcome the pain of that remorse. And uh, I, I think the same can go for money. You know, someone made a post on Stacker News today asking the question, well, what if we're wrong about Bitcoin? And um, I, I commented on it. I, I think the biggest threat to Bitcoin is that governments somehow manage to avoid hyperinflation with all fiat currencies. And, uh, you know, I think after 2008, a lot of people said, oh, it's over. There's no way they can kick the can down the road. Here we are 15 years later, still going. You know, I mean, we got debt to GDP above 120 percent. But if, if you look at it, it, it is it is all relative to a degree. And most countries are in a similar position. That's not good. 
So um, I, I don't know how it plays out, but I, I think it's really beautiful that, to have something like Bitcoin where you learn to lower your time preference. I mean, I don't know about each of your guys' own experience, but I know in the beginning I was shitcoining and I remember learning about Bitcoin and thinking, man, it's so cool that you don't need a third party to have to use this currency, but also why do I need Coinbase to buy it? And rather than actually digging in, putting in the proof of work, I was just like, eh, whatever, you know, maybe I can make some money. And I was in college, you know, I had studies and I had sports and there were other things that were top of my mind. Um, but when I got that stimulus check in the mail in 2020, I was like, all right, maybe I do need to do some more research into it. And I think at this point in time, it's a little easier than it was in 2017 to acquire Bitcoin. There's more exchanges, there's more peer-to-peer -peer ways. I mean, hell, there are so many apps that just earn it, whether it be listening to podcasts, participating in Stacker News. Now on Nostra, if you're providing valuable content, you can get Zap Satoshis. Um, but I just, it's beautiful to hear your guys' stories and to just hear how you essentially use pain in a way to better yourselves and become the men you are today. I think it's a really important lesson that you can't avoid pain. It's just, you know, I love that meme of like, the fat person eating pizza and the guy working out and it's like either option is hard you just you got to choose your hard yeah yeah i uh that's exactly right and i alluded a little bit earlier how how it started and we each have a story to tell and through painful experiences it built, builds us and makes us who we are and i started out uh, you, you said you were shit coining I started out trading options in the fiat world I'm always <laughs> an investor but i really dealt delve too deep into options, made a lot of money and then blew up, blew up multiple accounts. And what I learned is I was, I was managing pe other people's money. But when I was doing that, I wasn't diving headfirst into options for them. I was building strong portfolios for the long term. And for my own self, I was, I was open to that risk and I was taking unnecessary risk as Pete said, being greedy and blew up my own accounts. And so if you look at the dichotomy there, it's, thinking long term for other people versus being greedy and wanting all for myself, which one succeeded? Well, I did well for other people, paid them back. And then for myself, well, I blew up an account. And thank goodness, I, life goes on and I learned from it. And I, I learned about Bitcoin and how to save for the future and do it the long and slow way, so to speak. But here I am now in a much better state of mind and a much better place. And I actually have more money than when I thought I had a lot uh, trading options. So like you said, the, the painful experiences are needed. Yeah, I, I think the deeper you go down the Bitcoin rabbit hole, you start looking at it more as more as a savings than uh, an investment. And uh, I love that Michael Saylor interview where someone's like, well, if Bitcoin has a good day, you know, and it, you know, you you're in the green, would you ever sell some of your Bitcoin for US dollars? And he's like, if the Argentinian peso had a good day, would I ever sell US dollars to get pesos? Of course not. It's just, it's a better money. And uh, I think Bitcoin has a lot of those, I mean, that, that same quality. It's just a better form of money. And uh, there's going to be, it's going to be volatile. You know, if you look at gold, the gold chart in Weimar, Germany, I mean, the, the uh, swings and its price movement from day to day was just insane. But at the end of the hyperinflation, you know, the, there wasn't any amount of uh, Weimar marks that could, that could buy you gold because no one wanted them. I have a quick question uh, sure. for you, Connor. What do you think is going to, uh, to to facilitate a mass adoption towards Bitcoin? Because something that uh, uh, myself, John, and actually his mom were, were having a conversation the other day, and um, or a, a couple weeks back, and something that she had addressed was, um, it, and she does a good job of playing playing devil's advocate, is just um, like to a certain extent, like the difficulty around being able to like. Um, transfer Bitcoin 
like people like for for the most part it's like aside from people being able to um i mean i don't know super or too well to a certain extent the um like the best modes to uh to like make some type of exchange but what do you think is going to be able to um to facilitate that that uh, transition yeah i think uh one like you said pain's the best teacher so if there is hyperinflation you know to an American with our great financial infrastructure, a lot of times you actually have to sell people into great savings and yada yada. You go talk to someone in South America or Venezuela or uh, Turkey or any place that has experienced this inflation, they get it right away. They don't need to be sold on it. They understand the issue. Um, another thing I think outside of just paying from inflation, causing people to look into Bitcoin, I think better software. You know, and Jack, you mentioned you've been playing around on Noster. The ability to tip people, and, and there's like so many different things with Nostra that excite me, but just this idea where it's like, you know, say you guys are posting content for Muckbarn University and, you know, you blow up and then an advertiser comes to you. And in most cases, if the advertiser's Manscaped or Athletic Greens or whatever, it, you know, no one's, at least I don't think so, no one's been harmed from those companies. But then say if FTX or Celsius or Voyager or BlockFi or one of these crypto companies, you know, there were a lot of quote unquote influencers in the space who were shilling these product and a lot of retail investors who got hurt because they bought into these products and they didn't do the research, the proof of work to understand not your keys, not your coins, and they got burnt from these things. So I'm not saying that all advertisers are bad, but I think when you invite that third party in who's providing, you know, that content creator a living, I think incentives can be misaligned. I mean it's the same with fiat currency, you know, anytime we go to use fiat currency, there's always kind of that the government is there in the transaction. If one party's wrong, you can bring in the government. So I think more peer-to-peer -peer marketplaces and uh, better software. I mean, Noster is incredible and it's amazing to see the pace of development, but the better tools, you know, nowadays people just expect a seamless, you know, user interface and, you know, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all of these platforms are paying engineers tens if not hundreds of millions of dollars over the course of you know these businesses lifetimes to develop the best possible ui so i think more builders getting in the space uh, continuing to make it seamless to stack sats and then finally to answer the question i'd say the younger generations you know like for my like i think it's crucial when you get into bitcoin at some point when you're really going down the rabbit hole to learn to run a node to understand that it's important to verify the utxos you own are actually there on your own node not trust someone else's node but I'm not going to, I mean, I love my grandpa to death, bright man. I don't see, you know, me orange pilling my grandpa and being convincing him to buy a Raspberry Pi and to download Umbral and to have a Bitcoin core note at his house. It's just not going to happen. Now, he might trust me to do it. But, you know, I look at my daughter and she's grown up in a world where we can just FaceTime her grandparents anytime. I mean, it's going to be second nature to her. And I think kids growing up, especially with, you know, these artificial intelligence tools that are just going to allow them to learn anything they want, they will just get it and it'll be second nature. Um, so I think the road's going to be bumpy. I don't know exactly what it looks like, but to you know, answer that in one point, I think pain from inflation, I think better software tools to onboard as many people as possible. And then I think just the older generations dying off and the younger generations growing older, growing up in a world where they've always had Bitcoin. When you tell them, hey, if you want to get $10,000 out, you got to ask go ask some dude in a suit and tie and you got to make sure it's between nine to five and they're not going to be like, no, I'm, I have Bitcoin. Why would I ever ask a banker to use my money? That just doesn't make sense to them. So I don't know how long it takes. And I think the most, uh, the biggest factor in that is that pain. If the governments can figure out how to keep inflation down, uh, I think mass adoption takes longer, 
but I think uh, nothing's inevitable, but I do think to some degree that if you give it a long enough time horizon that it, it's uh, very likely to be inevitable. And then one, one follow-up question that I have, uh, how do you think education plays into this? Because uh, whenever, whenever I talk to family or friends, specifically like, uh, like older, like middle-aged uh, individuals, a lot of times they say, oh, well, I don't understand it and I can't, I can't hold it, I can't touch it, so I don't want to buy it and, um, or I don't want to invest in it or save it. And um, I mean, for me, I think like, or I mean, I can't speak for, for everyone here, but kind of something, something similar, like I don't understand how the ins and outs and the technicalities behind how the internet works, but I still use it every single day and, um, and I can leverage that resource. So I was just kind of curious to hear what you think, like how important you think that is to be able to like understand Bitcoin. Yeah, I'm so glad you made that point because I actually heard someone today on a podcast say like, there's no toxic TCP IP maximalist out there, yet everyone uses the internet. <laughs> you know, TCP IP is the protocol that makes up the entire internet. And uh, it's just second, even if you're not a tech company, everyone uses the internet, your utility companies. I mean, I, I genuinely, and I'm sure there's gotta be one example out there, like I can't think of a business that in some way does not leverage the internet. It's just a public good, it's public infrastructure. And I think of Bitcoin the same way. And uh, I'll say, and this is just from my own orange pilling experience, but in the beginning, I wanted to orange pill everyone. Like when I, I really went down the rabbit hole, I was trying to sell everyone on this and convince them. And uh, at some point, I think, A, the deeper you go, it's like, you, you just, you can't onboard everyone. People will be hesitant for reason, you know, whatever their reason is. But I think what you can do is try and meet people where they're at. So if one person is complaining because their 401k is just getting decimated, well, you know, talking with them about why that is and why the government's printing all this money and why it, inflate, it inflates asset prices, but you're not actually getting wealthier because the dollar's losing purchasing power. So even though your house might be worth more, if you go to buy another house, then you know, you're gonna have to buy a smaller house if you want the same house. Um, so I think trying to meet people where they are and. You know, everyone comes to Bitcoin for a different reason um, and just trying to figure out what someone's, you know, curiosity into Bitcoin is. And then once you've kind of, I mean, I guess that supplies to all sales in general, but once you've really discovered why they're upset with the way things are, then trying to point out how Bitcoin fixes this, because, and I've been guilty of this, if you just go into a conversation and you're just like, well, Bitcoin fixes this, you know, Bitcoin fixes seed oils. And then they're like, what, what do you mean Bitcoin fixes seed oils? And you're like, well, yeah, if we actually had a solid monetary system, then farmers wouldn't have to just look for cheaper and cheaper ways, you know, to mass produce food and then look for cheaper alternatives than butter and make seed oils and then pay off the FDA for all, you know. I mean, if you look at the FDA food trials, I'm sure you know, Peter, it's, it's just insane that they're telling people to eat bread as the number one thing and that red meat is what's caught. I mean, Tufts, our alma mater came out with some study that had Lucky Charms above eggs and butter. I mean, the healthiest thing was watermelon. And like, look, watermelon's not bad for you by any means, but it's mostly water. Like there, there's not that much nutritional value in watermelon. It's literally mostly water. So trying to like get all that across to someone who's like coming like, well, I'm interested in Bitcoin. And then, you know, like by the end of that conversation, they're like, all right, I think you dropped your tinfoil hat. But just trying to really meet someone where they are. And uh, I, this thing too, I got this at the MIT Bitcoin conference. And I haven't put any Bitcoin on it. You can essentially scan it. And there's open dimes too. And uh, this is tangible Bitcoin. You know, if you deposit Bitcoin on this address, this is the public key and you actually have to tear off the uh, thing to see the private key. So you can put physical Bitcoin on that and then hand that to someone. I guess you could do the same thing with the USB stick or whatever. Um, 
but it, it is it is a hurdle to someone who's always had coins and whatnot to, to try and tell them oh this like magical internet money um but but your point about tcpip and how we all use it one way or another today i do think bitcoin will become a public good like that and we'll all use it one way and another way and as you guys know with the fees you know this this past week with the whole ordinals thing uh, i think the layer two apps lightning again I, I do think it's important to run your own node but i think in 15 20 30 years uh you know a lot of people will never get to transact on the base chain they'll use some layer two some custodial solution a lightning solution whatever it is they won't actually you know in the same way none of us we're not using i mean we're using tcpip to do this call but we never touch tcpip you know we just use the web application built on top of tcpip to do this so i, I think bitcoin will, will face a similar route yeah all good stuff there uh connor the one thing I just want to add is back in the 90s, there were people saying that every company out there will have to become an internet company. And people are like, what are you talking about? I have nothing to do with the internet. <laughs> I sell dog food or I build homes. But now you look at it, everyone selling dog food and building homes has a website. Like everyone's on the internet. So people are saying now, uh, Bitcoin's for a niche market of nerds who are on computers. Well, believe it or not, you are going to be using Bitcoin in the future. Hundred percent. itself. The tangible, the tangible nature of it. You know, we look at, you know, as of late, like these bank failures. Too, you know, no one's U.S. dollars are very tangible when they can't get them during a bank run. They're gone, right? So it's also, you know, fascinating because most of the way that we transact in USD, um, it's almost parallel to any other currency transaction. You know? So. I think it's more just the, the stigma of the asset class rather than the medium through which you trade. Um, in that, you know, when you're looking at your bank account, you're not, you know, walking over to the safe and counting your dollars, you know, one by one and you're holding it. You're going on bofa.com and you're signing into your account and you're seeing a balance. And that's the same way, you know, it, it's interesting because it is the same way that we're looking at, you know, our treasure wallet. Um, it's just a balance in a different currency. And the difference is that, you know, if someone wants to uh, get a bunch of truckers together and start a, you know, a treasure wallet, you know, the, uh, they, they can't drain those funds. It's a little bit different in that regard. So it's almost a little bit more of a safer bet. From this yeah. And too. sorry to cut you out. I was just going to say that's such a great point in, in, in the normal banking system. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong in this, but as I understand it, like when you put your money in a fractional reserve bank, and there was like some amount they had to keep, but in 2020, they lowered that to 0%. I mean, it's like they Xerox your money and then they go and invest it somewhere else. And then they just, you know, you open your mobile app on your phone and it makes an API call to Bank of America's servers or Wells Fargo's or JP Morgan Chase's or whatever. And then it shows an amount in there and we've all become accustomed to just, you know, well, that's our money in the bank. But if you look at the fine print, you're just essentially a, uh, a credit, you know, a creditor. And, uh, the bank doesn't actually keep that money. I mean, banks initially, there were money warehouses, you know, you deposit your gold and they'd give you a receipt for that and you could trade it. Nowadays, they keep, I mean, they have they have a requirement to hold 0% of that money. And yes, we can print money. So the central bank, bank can always technically bail us out. And, you know, we have FDIC insurance. Um, but I'm very interested to see what ends up happening with the banks because it's all just a confidence game. And uh, with, with the whole Silicon Valley bank, I mean, what was it like? I don't know the exact number of billions of dollars, but like in a 48 hour period, billions of dollars were withdrawn from that bank. 
And it's not like the old days. I mean, I remember hearing in 2008 that they told the J.P. Morgan tellers, count the money twice and count it slowly so the bank run couldn't happen as fast. And nowadays, we all just pull out an iPhone and click some buttons and you know do a wire transfer out of that account. So uh, I'm curious to see how it plays out. But it's fundamentally different because good luck auditing the Fed. Good luck trying to run your own node to try and see you know the M2 money supply. I mean, you can go on the Fed's website and look at it. But like, good luck trying to verify for yourself. And it's such a paradigm shift to have a system where you can verify that for yourself. But I think teaching people and trying to tell them like it's, you know, when they go down the, the Bitcoin rabbit hole, do take the time to verify that your UTXOs exist and do take the time to check these things for yourselves because it's so fundamentally different. And we've all just been preconditioned to uh, just trust these banks. And uh, even if you didn't want to trust the banks, well, how are you going to audit them? You simply can't. I mean, I don't. I guess you can go work in the financial. In- I mean, that's about the closest you can get. You can go work in the financial industry. Yeah, I mean, having having a low reserve requirement certainly helps stimulate growth and stimulates economic activity because that that money is being lent. But the danger there is, if, you know, if if banks don't operate in good faith and, and the people who are conducting these businesses don't um, you know don't make good on their loans and, and they default, you know, this is what you get. You get a world where um, money that never existed because it was created from a leverage standpoint now completely ceases to exist so something intangible becomes completely completely intangible it's no longer just um what this brings me to think about jack sorry to interrupt you is uh you you all probably remember that spongebob episode where he was on the beach and he was blowing up his arms with air and making himself look strong (laughs) here's larry over here who's put in the proof of work and actually is strong the banks are like SpongeBob. They appear almighty. They're building buildings in every city. They have the tallest skyscrapers. But you pop those inflatable biceps and down goes the banks. So Yeah. And uh, a lot of I was this greed too. You know, it's a function of, of greed in, in these larger institutions. Um, you know, the chickens came home to roost in 08 for a lot of them. Um, with CDOs and how you know they, they handled you know reorganization of mortgages, but um, you know the, I think there's some merit to the banking system if it were reworked, where there was a bit more of a, a you know an understanding of what a reserve requirement is and a respect for what that entails. You know, because you talk about debt to GDP, you know every time a loan goes out, it's just creating a larger ratio. It's you know it's that ratio, that debt's getting bigger and bigger. The banks. Yeah, yeah. Circling back to um, Connor, what you were saying about about uh, big food and and the uh, the the USDA like lobbying to eat Lucky Charms over red meat, like it, it all comes down to um, to the bottom line and, and a high time preference. Because if they like put out actual legitimate data that shows that um, you know eating red meat, eating butter, and um, you know eating these nutri- nutrient dense uh, fat-rich foods actually isn't bad for you know, our cholesterol levels or, or, our, uh, or it doesn't actually promote uh, cardiovascular disease. If like we learn that this stuff or if the uh, consumer learns that this stuff actually isn't bad for you, then you know, it, it wrecks the bottom line for, for all these, uh, these junk big food companies. So it's just like, as Jack was saying, it just comes down to like greed and, and, and lining pockets. Yeah, and think about all of these, uh, and I think the same could be said for energy, but all the subsidies for like Beyond Meat and all these just, I mean, soy crap, like 
all these companies that would never exist if it weren't for just being propped up by crap and lobbying and uh yeah it's just insane what did our ancestors eat for thousands of years i mean it's not rocket scientists you know these people got along just fine and then all of a sudden we want to try and have these processed foods and expect different results i mean it's kind of insane and uh one thing you said jack about inf um not inflation but uh like stimulus to a degree causing growth and i'm not sure i have the financial knowledge to rebut that point i mean my gut does kind of wonder if that's um like just something that's been taught in the keynesian model but i i do think there could be some truth to that but i think the other side of that coin is you start to cause this moral hazard where these entities get too big to fail i mean as we saw in 2008 as we're seeing now I, and I mean, that, that's such a good point, John, you made about SpongeBob just inflating his muscles. And you look at the size of J.P. Morgan Chase. And honestly, if J.P. Morgan Chase went under, I mean, or any of the four big banks, the pain that would, I mean, it would just be horrible. And, and they are, they're not too big to fail, but I, I mean, it, it would just be a night. Like, I don't, I don't even want to think about what would happen if one of the big banks went under because so many people would be out so much money. But, but it is one of these things where there's just all this moral hazard because, you know, it, I'm thinking of like the South Park episode with uh, the cable and there's only one cable guy in town and uh, people get mad with their cable and like the guy like pulls down the things and he's like, oh, you're upset with uh, the cable service? That's a shame. I don't think there's another cable service in this town. So what are you going to do? And, and I feel like to a degree with our banking system, you know, that's the other side of this coin. Like, yeah, it does stimulate growth. And, uh, you know, if everything fell to the marginal cost of production, then employers would have to tell their employees like, hey, we got to lower your salary because it's, it's, it's a lot harder to make more money because our margins are constantly getting killed. So I do think, you know, to your point, there, there is something about, like I, I see how fiat came to be and I, I, I don't have the answer to it, but, but I also think there's just this other side of the coin that doesn't even get considered that there's all this moral hazard when an entity becomes too big to fail and you prop them up. And uh, I, I think there probably is an argument to be made that, that the pain that could come from just constantly propping up these zombie companies that shouldn't exist anymore. It just ruins capitalism. And then that in itself could cause even more pain than the pain that would come from letting one of these big banks fail because they, they over leverage themselves. Yeah, I mean, capitalism, you know, one of the things that helps it thrive is the nuance of choice. And so when you have consolidation, especially in institutions that control currency, um, that's where it becomes dangerous. So the world that, you know, the fiat world that I envision is one where where regional banks are the one, you know, if, because the fiat world is the one we're in, it's the one we're probably going to be in for a while. Um, you know, regional banks are, are often a good place to start, you know, because they're they're differentiated. They, you know, some are commercial lenders, some are not. It really depends on their, their model. Um, but when you have, you know, JPM up here and they do you know, they have a separate RIA, they have, um, you know, commercial lending, they have traditional bank, whatever it is, when they can just offer every service, they're also going to outcompete all of these regional banks from a margin standpoint until they've got success. But, you know, so, if, if you have a regional bank structure around the world where it's just local to your community, maybe local to the Northeast, um, and those reserve requirements are positioned in a way where you can create growth, but also understand that it shouldn't be growing or decreasing at an alarming rate it's a lot more sustainable over a period of time so jack mm -hmm. if i'm if i'm hearing you correctly you're yeah. saying 
regional banks um, are the ones who really could do the heavy lifting um, for the majority of people. And I understand that in the past, that's exactly what it was. You needed, you needed it started with a place to store your gold because you didn't want someone to come take it from you. Um, and that those, it, it wasn't, no, it's no longer gold. It's now, you know, dollars or whatever, but you didn't have the wherewithal to protect yourself. The, the difference now is um, that Bitcoin is almost like a peaceful money. Uh, you can put a gun to my head and regardless of what you do, pull the trigger, don't pull the trigger, you're not going to get my Bitcoin. Um, so you can have peaceful discussion and maybe negotiate, hey, give me 2% uh, of your Bitcoin and I'll let you go free. And then maybe I'll consider giving you a portion. But regardless, um, the, the point I'm making is we don't need the people to hold our money anymore. And this is where there's this underlying tumultuous nature of change occurring and people can't really put their finger on what is changing um, and if you've if you've ever if you've ever done a trip of, of some sort on you know say LSD or whatnot you have these like sporadic thoughts that hit you and then they they dissipate and what the world feels like now is like there's these people putting energy in certain areas and then it's gone it, it blows up and, and we're trying to figure out what is important and the Great Reset is, is occurring, or I'll call it the Great Reset. People are trying to figure out what is important. What do I care about in life? And these banks are not, like, that's what we're talking about. But that's not the important part. It, it's, you know, um, having good health, creating family, creating hope, um, longevity. And we have a money now that can facilitate these, as Connor says, win-win transactions. So I'm sorry to get off topic, but, like, that's the thing. The banks, they gain all this attention and uh, that's what we talk about. Or same with news outlets, news media. They gain all this attention, but it's, it's, a, it's a cover for, for something. And uh, it's unfortunate because there's much more important things um, that we need to be discussing if we're going to really become enlightened and grow as a human species, if that makes any sense. No, that's a, that's a perfect point. I don't think it's off topic. You know, have, have you guys heard of Caitlin Long and Custodia Bank, by chance? I've not. So basically, she, she was trying to do a uh, fully reserved banked and actually above fully reserved any digital assets that came in. She was going to back them with a dollar and eight cents. So she was going to do an, an extra eight percent. And uh, I think you'll see a lot of Bitcoiners, myself included, to a degree, who get kind of jaded about the current system. And uh, I wouldn't say burn it all down, but I'm just trying to spend as little time as possible and just focus on Bitcoin and whatever crap goes on in the political sphere. It's like, eh, whatever, it's out of my control. But I'm so grateful for people like Caitlin and yourself, Jack, who are actually in the financial industry, trying to bring some sanity back to it, trying to make it so we don't just have these monster companies who can get away with murder because there's no other options. And uh, I bring up Caitlin Long because she was try like she went through all the right routes. She did everything. And uh, legally, because of what she had done, she should have gotten a license and the Fed rejected her. Now, I haven't read like the whole rejection proposal that came out, and I, I know she's fighting it in courts now, and I wish her the best. I hope she wins. Um, but, but to your point, I, I just don't think they're going to let us have a fully reserved bank, and uh, we're going through this you know, change now, and you know, Bitcoin is a fully you – know, it's like I, I like the saying that Satoshi opened a checking account for everyone in 2009 when he started Bitcoin, and if people want you know, a checking account – they can go and, I mean, you don't even have to buy Bitcoin. Just offer a good and service for it and open a Bitcoin wallet and then people can pay you in Bitcoin. Um, but I, I do think there, there is value to it and not uh, 
following the norm of a lot of Bitcoiners who are just like, yeah, screw the system. It's done. We're, we're just going to focus on this new system because, you know, a lot of I'm sure, as we all know, all a lot of our family and friends, they're still living in the system. And uh, the, the media, too, you know, they're they're in cahoots with the government. And it's good to see independent journalism and podcasts and just these long form conversations, because, you know, in a five minute news clip, you know, I, I worked as an Internet and news organization and great people who work there, but you just, you can't have a nuanced take, a nuanced discussion and really learn something valuable from a five minute conversation where, you know, there's advertisers and there's someone trying to put a spin on the story and make you think a certain way. It's just, uh, it, it's very difficult to, so it's very encouraging to see the, you know, these independent journalists and podcasters and all sorts of new media popping up thanks to the internet, you know, thanks to what TCP IP has allowed us to do in terms of communication and spreading information. I'd love to talk more about uh, the health and fitness and especially after you talked about uh, Huff's most recent health report and and the, the hierarchy of quality food. I, you know, I think we've talked a bit in the beginning about the uh, the Bitcoin community and how it, it, it causes people to want to be better in, in all respects. Um, you know, so at our different stages of life, you know, how do we, how do we get other people to you know, understand what is a good diet? You know, Pete's, I would say the, the expert in this field. Um, but you know, he's, he's encouraged John and myself to, to eat some really good foods and it's, it's paid dividends for us, you know, but how do we, how do, how do we share that? On a broader scale yeah so i think um for as far as uh like the protocol that i'll take towards towards any uh low efficacy uh prospect or client so to speak who's just uh they have absolutely like no good health behavior whatsoever i mean with anything um new and challenging you know you just gotta you have to take small steps in the right direction and that just comes down to um you know drinking water instead of a soda, uh, going out and, and getting some sunlight and going for a walk, like stuff like, like what John does, like um, banging out some, some push-ups or some pull-ups in between work. It, it starts with doing the little stuff. And I think, um, you know, the, the absolute, and this is something that I've actually talked about in, in my, in my seven day challenge, both of you guys have done this is, is very common is the, the all or nothing mentality. And I think that this is something that can kind of circle back to, uh, you know, getting starting with, with Bitcoin with, uh, you know, one of uh, me, Johnny and Jack's good friends. Um, he's like, he's got like plenty of fiat to, to invest in Bitcoin, but he just doesn't want to do it because he feels like he'll, he'll like have to like put in all his money or something like that. But anyways, I'm kind of digressing. The point is like people have this all or nothing mentality where like, if they want to do something, they have to like go all in 100%. And, um, to to facilitate this change with with uh with respect to fitness and then with respect to bitcoin as well it's just taking small steps in the right direction like for me like putting 50 or 100 bucks in uh in bitcoin every week uh like i was saying going out for a walk when it's sunny out doing 20 push-ups when you have a, a break in between calls or uh if there's uh like a commercial break when you're watching tv whatever it may be just like doing something more than nothing essentially 
Yeah, man, I love that so much. It is so easy. You think like if I'm going to invest in it, I want to go. I mean, in every aspect of life, we all just want to go all in. And uh, it's it's so much more important to like leg into the trade. You know, if you dollar cost average, I mean, there's countless charts out there that just show how much more effective that is. Everyone thinks they can trade, but dollar cost averaging for 99.9% .9 of people has proven to be so much more effective. And the same goes for your health. You know, there's an app called S Miles and it's like a silly little app. And the amount of, I mean, it's like, 10 sats per like, I, I don't know, probably like 5,000, 10,000 steps. But still, those are 10 sats I wouldn't have had otherwise. And it's just a cool app I like using to remind myself to walk and taking those small steps. And in every single thing, you know, I, I decided I wanted to write for a year. So I, I did. I wrote for 365 days straight. And I, I'm still writing past that. I think I'm on day four or something. And, uh, and since then, I, I was able to get published in Bitcoin magazine. I got paid some Bitcoin by them for their print magazine. It, it was not. It was nothing. I. I mean, it was just like that habit of like I'm gonna do this every single day, regardless. And I promise you, if you go through and read every single one of those posts, there are tons that are just absolute crap. Like that looks like I'm writing in a journal. But I think there are some other ones that are pretty decent. And over time, I know I am a much better writer today on day 400 whatever than I was when I first started. And it's the same thing with fitness. You know what? If you can't run right now, if you can't run a mile. Well, it doesn't mean you have to, you know, just push yourself. And if you don't hit that mile goal, you just give up. Start walking a mile every day and work your way up. And uh, that also just goes back to, you know, the, the point we talked about earlier, having a group to keep you accountable. It makes a world of difference. And it's the same with your diet. I mean, if you just eat absolute crap, well, substitute that one soda. And uh, it's that great Tony Robbins quote that like humans are so bad about overestimating what they can do in a day and then underestimating what they can accomplish in a year. And, and I think that, you know, goes for every single area of life, whether it be your finances, your health, your diet, your relationships, your network, et cetera. It, you know, it's, it's amazing how many of these same ideas can apply to whatever, you know, you want to get better at. You had a, you had a good podcast with um, on the dopamine dilemma. And that oh, was yeah, with James? Yeah, and um, he was talking a lot about taking care of your body and, and how that translates into other facets of your life. So it's just interesting, you know, because one thing at MBU is like, you know, one one pillar that's almost just understood is that you, you need to be fit because how else can you operate if your mind isn't healthy, if your body isn't healthy, if you're not well nourished, you're not going to be optimized. And so, you know, one thing, you know, we're very fortunate that we have, you know, Pete giving us like the, the exact regimens we need to, to perform. Um, John consistently pushing down steak and eggs every day. Um, you know, oh, I've, been yeah. getting, I've been getting on that train. There's a lot of uh, different foods that I've, I've dove into and explored. You know, I've become a better cook. I can cook for my girlfriend all the time, different nuanced meals. You know, that bleeds into relationships. Then you have positive experiences from that. You know, so there's there's all these different like spillover effects to to full adoption of something that's crucial for everyone, but adopted by few. And, and, you know, so that's that's one really unique thing that we have with MBU is that yeah. very fundamental principles that, that keep us in check, keep us, you know, striving for more, um, you know, getting good food in our bodies. And you know, if it's three days, if our goal says three times in the gym this week, like, you, you know, you better be in the gym three times this week or Pete and John are going to, to call me on it and I'm going to pay them 10,000 sats at the end of the week. That's how we do it. It's incentives like you talked about, Connor. 
So, um, Johnny, you're trying to get in. Go ahead. Yeah, it's just, um, like you said, we're making small steps in the right direction. And at MBU, we implemented our WMYs and our goals, which are in an incremental pattern. You have your W, your weekly goals, which bleed into your M, your monthly goals, and then your Y, your yearly goals. And you're not going to achieve your yearly goals in one day. But if you set up 12 monthly goals that can slowly progress to those yearly goals, you might have better success. And even further, if you have four weekly goals in each month, those will help you obtain the monthly goals. So we've tried to structure a system that's easy to follow, that doesn't require um, immediate gratification, but can be you know, lowering our time preference, thinking about the future. And it's, it's, all, it's all culminating into what we've started here. And uh, the Bitcoin that was in 2009, yeah, uh, technically it's still the same, but the layers have um, changed and grown. And same with, the, with MBU. We started from nothing. And as Peter Thiel says, just get from zero to one. And from there, the rest can grow exponentially as Bitcoin does. Yeah, it's amazing too. When you start developing those good habits, they become addicting. You know, like with running, I hated running until I graduated from Tufts and I didn't have a sports team. And then I started doing it for myself because I saw my buddy losing weight doing it and uh, ended up, he's in my proof of work group chat. And now it's like this addicting thing where like, I'll get done with the run. And like, yeah, they're obviously like running sucks sometimes. Like when I first started run a lot of times, I'm like, this sucks. Then I get done with it and just the dopamine and the endorphins. I'm like, this is so dope. And just working to stack those positive habits rather than the negative ones. Um, it just becomes like this self-fulfilling prophecy. And I don't have any data to back this up. But I do think there is something to be said about the idea that when you're eating dog shit food and you're constantly feeling sloppy and out of it, you're not going to question the money and if it's broken. I mean, that's the last thing you're going to question, you know, be because your mind just is not firing properly on all cylinders. So I think uh, in all areas, it, it's, it's all connected in all areas of your life. And it's so crucial to find a group of guys who can help you start to develop those habits and you know, make you the best version of yourself and, and to optimize for yourself too. You know, some, some people hate running and not, no amount of running is going to change that, but then get in the gym or play pickup hoops or find what works for you. And, uh, don't feel like you have to go all in, you know, in the same way with, with Bitcoin, you know, it's start to DCA in, start to learn more about it, you know, put a little in. And then, you know, I, I think that that same thing I kind of felt with running happens with Bitcoin. We are like, Oh, it went up to there. It went down. Well, let me study. Why is that? And then you know, you just get these uh, habits that just grow and grow. And then after a year, you look back and you're, you, you can't believe how much growth you've had in your life. Yeah. I mean, it, the same happened for me with Bitcoin as it did with the fiat world. Like I, when, Connor, were you at Tufts when they went to pass fail during COVID? Was that your senior spring? Bro, that was the one time I got a 4-0 at Tufts. I passed yeah. out every single class <laughs> except the class I knew I was guaranteed an A in. And that was the one semester I ever got a 4-0 in. So... When it was my senior year, it continued. And so John and Pete, uh, to put it in perspective, it was a 60% pass the class. So you had to get a D to be excellent. <laughs> it was crazy. At, at a high-level high institution. But either way, um, you know, that was how I got into the investment space. I don't know if, John, you remember me texting you um, all fall in 20, was it 2020, asking you about stocks and oh, what's Ford going to do? You know, yep. should I, I remember it? that. You were a great resource for me. And, you know, I, all I did was just dump some money in 
teach myself what it feels like to lose money, teach myself what it's like to win money or to make money, I should say. And, you know, over time, you know, a couple of Peter Lynch books later, and I had a, a better understanding of, of what the fiat markets look like. And so, you know, I feel like I'm kind of revisiting that same journey now um, as you guys educate me uh, on this space. Uh, so it's, you know, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, the the pro the evolution process um, is is something else, and it takes time. Ultimately, time is the most uh, important aspect here. But if you think about it, uh, we have constantly evolved, and we are at at this current time. We're programmed by the social media we watch. We were programmed um, by the television we consumed. We're programmed by the newspapers that we read. And so we almost have to be very cognizant of what is in front of our eyes. Um, <laughs> there's the, the stoned ape theory. I, I'm sorry to get off topic, but I love they, that say, they say that um, these, these apes or these monkeys um, were just monkeys and they're all running around. And then one of them decided to eat some mushrooms underneath a rock or underneath a tree. And he, he, yeah, he was able to um, expand his neural pathways and he was able to think a little bit differently. And if you think about it, maybe maybe Bitcoin is that mushroom for us that's going to rewire or reprogram the way we think. And we can't get off of a fiat standard until we eat that mushroom or eat that that yucky thing. But eventually we may change and we may grow into a better species and uh, have more more bliss more happiness we may find the true meaning of life and uh, who knows where it'll take us but I think Bitcoin um, is that second coming I, I hate to compare it to Jesus Christ because he's our Lord and Savior but you know Bitcoin Jesus would have been a Bitcoiner I'm, I'm, I'm gonna <laughs> no doubt. That. <laughs> Yeah, there's no doubt about that. I got I got to find it. I got this great meme that's like the fiat mine and then the Bitcoin mine. And I think it shows actually like a mine on psilocybin and just how there's all these, you know, there's way more connections and parts of the brain talking to each other that otherwise wouldn't. And uh, obviously, I, I do think people need to be careful. And as someone who has enjoyed mushrooms, if there's any advice I give, do it in nature. Do not do it in a city because <laughs> it's a lot better in nature with people you love and care about versus... Uh, a city. I mean, maybe that goes without saying, but uh, for anyone out there, that there's some free advice. Um, Concrete yeah. jungle, no good. Yeah, it's it's free not the place. Right there. <laughs> but yeah, gentlemen, it has been absolutely awesome. I got two more questions for you guys, and then uh, I would love to do this again at some point in the future if you guys would be willing to hop back on. Exactly. Um, but absolutely. the the first part of those last two questions, I'd love to hear you each go around. And if you could talk to yourself from five years ago and give yourself a piece of advice, and it can't be by Bitcoin, because obviously I, I think we'd all love to tell ourselves five years ago, stack as many stats as possible. But just like a piece of advice to make yourself the, the best human possible, what, what would you tell yourself if you could speak to yourself from five years ago? Go ahead, Jack. Oh, I got to give that one a little thought. All right, Pete. You go, Johnny. All right, I, I, I know what I'm going to say. Um, it comes down to my dreams of always becoming a professional athlete. I had a couple um, family members, an uncle and a cousin who played professional baseball. And f from a very young age, that's all I ever wanted to do. And all what I would tell my, you know, 10, 10 year old self or 15 year old self or 
freshman in college yourself is um, lower your time preference. I would probably reword it so they would understand. <laughs> but I would say um, just keep thinking long term and do those small small things properly. Um, the so the so to speak, uh, make your bed every day. Just do the right thing, and you'll be amazed where it takes you. And I could tell my current self this because it, it's ultimately just truth. It's gonna it's gonna it's going to happen. If you can just do the small things right, if you can work a little bit harder than um, you, you are currently doing, and if you can just learn and grow, you're going to make it to your goals because the mind uh, is very powerful. You can manifest anything. You really can. And so I would, I would tell my, my, my younger self to just keep doing the, the little things right because, and, and don't, don't stop dreaming because you will make those dreams come true. Yeah, man, that's beautiful. Have you ever seen that uh, picture where it's like 1.01 to the 365th power, and it's an insane number, and then 0.99 to the 365th power, and it's uh, it's it's a much smaller number, and humans yeah. are just horrible at uh, estimating the power of exponential growth. Uh, but, but that's so true, man. Yeah, I think I, um, looking back, I, I would have told myself to, because I was about 21 at the time, so I would have just told myself to, um, believe in myself and, and trust in my vision and uh, go go twice as hard at the stuff that I really enjoyed because um, you know I'd, I think around the time I was like 21 I just started uh, like training jujitsu grappling a lot training a lot getting ready for tournaments and uh, like I would get flack from my friends at school like like what are you doing dude like why are you like training and stuff like like that and then like my uh my parents like telling me to quit and um like circling back like if i uh, i would tell myself to like do it harder like do it twice as hard because like i i think um even like at our age like we're all i'm i'm not exactly sure how old you are connor but like we're all mid-20s but even like even more so at the at the age of 21 like we we have an infinite amount of energy we have unlimited resources that are available to us like we can where like we have um the liberty to eat as much food as we want we can rest as much as we need for for the most part especially so at that age like i could when i was 21 i could i could sleep as much as i needed to i could eat as much as i needed to so just like the stuff that i really really love just like do it like as hard as you possibly can like go nuts oh yeah I'd second that one, Pete. Also, since we're talking about age, John is 26 today, and Pete turns 26. Oh, today. happy birthday, John. Let's go. I didn't even realize. That's good shit, man. Make sure that we make Big two six. Wish these two guys happy birthdays today and tomorrow. Um, nice. Happy birthday. Certainly would second with both of you guys. Hey, Jack, Absolutely. Um, I would second John in the sense of passion and Pete in the sense of intensity. I would also... Probably for myself, I would say lower my expectations for other people and make sure to be calm. Because I remember um, one of my best friends from Tufts, he he was from across the pond. And so now he comes once a year and spends Thanksgiving with my family. And I think it was two years ago, we were talking about rowing crew together. And he looked at me and we were just talking, kind of reminiscing, laughing. And he said, yeah, man, he goes, you were a real dick when you were a freshman. (laughs) <laughs> and I was thinking, I, I had no because I, I knew it, he was absolutely right. And so, you know, 
throughout the sports world, you know, I always thought like what I believed was hard work um, was always putting in more effort than someone else. But like understanding that we're all different people, you know, being kinder to people who are trying to also put in hard work, um, you know, coexisting with your teammates, you know, that translates into the professional world now. It's like coexisting with your team and and you know working together because that's I mean that's how everyone gets paid. You know, if you if you, if you optimize that as a unit. Uh, versus finding an avenue to blame someone else when something doesn't go well. Uh, I was always very good at that when I was a younger younger man. And I think that as I've gotten older, I've realized that I have a part to play in failure and success. And, um, you know, I, I didn't didn't give myself that lens when I was younger, just out of, out of the ego. And so, you know, doing it every day, we're working on it every day to try to drop the ego be receptive to other people. And uh, you know, that's what I would tell myself at 18 for sure. Yeah, man, that's great advice. And I think it's so important to uh, anyone younger listening. It's it's so easy to blame others for your shortcomings and faults. And like, yeah, there's a lot of dicks out there. There's also a lot of incredible people and just not having any assumptions and, uh, you know, not taking it personally when someone tells you to F off, but also having the... Uh, I don't even know what the word I'm looking for is, but being willing to ask questions and keep your ego in check and uh, not relying on anyone else for your success, but also having enough strength and courage to put yourself out there and ask people whether it's to come on a podcast or to help you out in some way or, or whatever it may be. Um, I think there's a lot of insight in that advice. And uh, yeah, John and Peter, thank you guys for on your birthday, spending some time with me and coming on this pod i really appreciate it and uh there's nothing i would rather do on my birthday Connor. yeah thank you for having <laughs> us this so is awesome. my pleasure cheers guys like i said i'll definitely have you back and uh yeah the final question i had for you guys is just where can people find you on the internet and anywhere else you might want to point people on tcpip if you will <laughs> well first off Muckbarn university twitter instagram give us a follow we got good content from the three of us and then obviously our individual accounts i uh i'm on instagram twitter Noster, and uh, I'm out there in the real world too. So I'll uh, I'll see you whatever city you're in when I come Thank through. Yeah. Next mass Bye-bye. adoption meetup. You guys all got to get out to a mass adoption meetup. I'd love to have I'd all love you. To. Uh, Please. Me to follow too. He's got GoFlow training on Instagram, Twitter too, Pete. Yeah, I'm on uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, but yeah, mostly uh, Twitter and Instagram at GoFlow Training, and then um, I have. Uh, on my funnel hub, that's goflowtraining.com. It, it gives a little breakdown of some of my program offerings, um, some pitches in there, and then a little bit about my brand and, and what I have to offer there. So, those are probably really want to, if you really want to, go ahead and toss myself a follow on Instagram as well. T2 underscore Max Fitness. Uh, it's nine to five guys trying to figure out how to get those supersets in. So, that's it. No, I love it, Peter. We gotta get you, we gotta get you on Nasta here soon. I know. I gotta get in the mix. <laughs> well, awesome guys. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll grab all those links from you guys too, and put them in the show notes to make it easier for people. Um, yeah, thank you guys. It's been a pleasure, and looking forward to the next one. Let's thank do you. it. Thanks.